Good morning. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share my heart with you today as we worship together. A few nights ago, I shared with a group of people that had gathered for a meeting of our churches here in Knox County a picture of the Cholatuca Bridge that had been hit and as hit by Hurricane Mitch in 1998. I want to show you a picture of that this morning as well. This particular bridge is the Chilatuka Bridge. It's in Honduras. In 1998, Hurricane Mitch blew through that area and just almost completely devastated everything in its path. As it blew through the area in November of that year, over 5,000, about 5,600 people died as a result of that hurricane. There were over 12,000 people who were injured and over 8,000 people who completely disappeared that they never discovered their whereabouts. There were 150 bridges in the path of Hurricane Mitch that were severely damaged or completely destroyed. And yet the Cholatuca Bridge survived intact. It was pretty amazing, really, when you stop to think about it, that the the engineering feat of that bridge to allow it to be the only one in the path of that hurricane to survive and to, to remain intact. In fact, the Japanese company that was instrumental in designing and building it was so proud of it that they took a picture of it after the hurricane had come through there and it would remain standing and they began to use that in their advertising of how strong uh, their engineering was and how trustworthy their company could be in building structures like this. But I don't know if you've looked closely enough at the picture yet to notice something unique. While the bridge remained completely intact, the river moved. Do you see it? See, the, the river used to go underneath the bridge. Thus the purpose of the bridge, right? To be able to connect one side of land with the other over the water, over the river. But as the hurricane blew through, it blew through with such force and such strength that it completely shifted the river. And now the bridge just stands, stood there at that time as kind of a, a monument or a testimony, I guess you will, of, of its structural strength but also a beautiful image of it no longer serving its purpose for which it was intended because the entire river had shifted. As I look out over our culture today, it becomes very clear to me, and I'm sure it does to you as well, that we live in the midst of significant cultural shifts today. Our culture has shifted significantly in my lifetime and in the lifetime of most of us in this room today. Part of the cultural shifts, we could probably list many, I'll just name a few, but part of the cultural shifts that we experience in our world today is that views of morality are shifting and have significantly shifted in our lifetime. The other thing is just the way we communicate with one another has shifted significantly. Technology and communication technologies have allowed us to communicate with people in much different ways and people on a much wider scale. But the way that we communicate and relate to one another has shifted significantly. People groups from all over the world and where they live today has shifted significantly. 
The United States doesn't look like it did decades ago as far as the people groups who now live next door to us. And so the, just the whole landscape of our culture has begun to shift in some pretty significant and very identifiable ways. We're also in the midst of a religious shift in our culture today. Not only have we shifted culture, we've got a, a religious shift that's been going on. And we could identify that in many ways as well. But some of the things that I want to highlight for you very quickly is that in this religious shift with the Christian church specifically in mind, we are no longer in a society to where the Christian church is the center of our lifestyle and our activities. Researchers and sociologists identify these things in life called first place, second place, and third place in the traffic patterns of our life. And years ago, the first place in people's life, which was the time spent, the most time spent in their waking hours of each day. So the majority of your waking hours each day were spent in what was identified as your first place, and that was work. Your second place where you spent the most waking hours was with family. And decades ago, the third place, the most common place people, people spent their waking hours was in their church community. So work was first place, family was second place, church community was third place. Today, sociologists have done these studies, and what they show is that work remains first place, family remains second place, but third place, the church has been replaced by things like coffee shops and cafes where people gather together. So the church has been removed as the third place in our lives as part of an identifying factor of our religious shifts today. Another religious shift for the Christian church in our society today is the, the shift from attractional programs. Attractional programs are no longer attractive to people in the church. We went through a time in the church to where, in the Christian church in North America, to where we were doing everything that we could to produce the most attractive programs. And if our programs were more attractive than someone else's, then people would come and choose to spend their time here. But remember, church was the third place in people's lives. It no longer is. And so attractional programs are no longer attractive. We can have great worship bands, and, and I, I like great worship bands. I love the ones we have here at Calvary. We can have great worship bands. We can tell people, oh, you ought to come to church and hear our worship band. And they go, you know, thanks, but I've got all the music I want, and I carry it with me. Oh, but we've got this great coffee set up at church. Come, come on, have some coffee. For, thanks, I, I get my coffee down at, they'll name the coffee shop. And my pastor gets a little sarcastic every now and then, so I'm going to ask his permission for me to be a little sarcastic. He's given me permission, sort of. You know, I grew up in an era where churches were, you know, would always put on cantatas, and, you know, invite people to come and say, oh, you ought to come hear our cantata. And I'm not, I'm not against great musical uh, opportunities for people to come and worship. I'm not against that at all. But people would come and say, come hear our cantata. It's great. And I just want to tell you in a little bit of a sarcastic manner that we live in a culture today religiously to where people don't know a cantata from a cantina. And that's just where we live. We see shifts in our church today. We see shifts in our churches that tell us that church identity is no longer as strong as it used to be. 
we see shifts that tell us that church loyalty is diminishing. We see shifts that tell us that church unity is declining. And so in the midst of these cultural and religious and church shifts, the winds of change have caused such significant shifts to take place that it has resulted in a greater separation between the church and society. A greater separation between the, the church, and I'm talking the people now who make up the church, and the people of our communities. And whereas once we had this great bridge to connect with people in our world today, many times we're sitting now as a monument to what we once were rather than an effective people to connect with those who need to know Christ and be a part of his church. At the meeting a few weeks ago, I shared with you, a, I shared with the people who had gathered there then, a, um, a video that we're using to try to help encourage our churches, our network of Baptist churches here in Knox County. There's about 150 churches in our network of Baptists right here in Knox County alone. And shared with them that we're entering into a partnership with churches all across the state of Tennessee. In fact, over the next seven years, this partnership's going to move from Knoxville to Clarksville and Nashville and Chattanooga and Memphis. And this partnership's going to try to encourage our churches from all across the state of Tennessee to partner together to try to reach the people who are living in the metropolitan areas of our state. We're calling it City Reach, and City Reach Knoxville is the first emphasis of that. And in this, we've, done a little, we've shared a little bit of the research that reflects Knoxville. And I want to share that video with you for just a moment. It's just a very short video because I want you to hear some of the research, particularly, that identifies the shifts that have taken place right here in our own city. Knoxville, Tennessee. A great city, located along the Tennessee River, nestled among the beautiful Smoky Mountains, host to the International Biscuit Festival, and of course, home to the University of Tennessee Volunteers. Knox County is also a home to over 450 churches, over 550 different religious groups, and in 2013 was voted the number one most Bible-minded city in America. However, Knox County is also a place where in a recent survey conducted among Knox County residents, only 19% identified themselves as actively engaged in a Christian church. In that same survey, 39% identified themselves as nuns or those who had no religious affiliation of any kind. 41% identified themselves as duns or the de-churched. Those who were once actively involved in a church but we're now leaving it. Knox County is also home to over 120 different nations. And within the city limits of Knoxville, one out of every four people live in poverty. Through City Reach Knoxville, there are many opportunities for your church to be on mission and help to address these very specific needs in Knox County. So what's your part? How do you see you and your church making a kingdom difference right here in Knox County as the church on God's mission?
think about all of these shifts that I've kind of alluded to already and mentioned specifically in some nature as taking place in other parts of the nation, but not right here in Knoxville. We're, we're right here in what has been affectionately termed as the Bible Belt. But look at the shifts that are identified in just that recent research that was done in Knoxville within the last two years. We live in a city that has over 450 churches. We live in a city that has over 550 different religious groups. We live in a city that just two years ago was voted the number one most Bible-minded city in America. And yet look where the shifts have gone. From a city that has that many churches and religious groups and Bible-minded people living within the the city and county limits to a a city and a county to where only 19% are actively engaged in a Christian church. To where 39 and 41% identify themselves as either nuns having no religious affiliation with Christ and his church whatsoever or done saying, I once was a part of a church, but now I'm have no use for it. You see the shifts that are taking place right here in our own community. Cultural shifts, religious shifts, church shifts, that's just where we are today. So what do we do? Well, we can gain some inspiration from the Cholatuka Bridge. Because while it was sitting there no longer serving its purpose, someone said, we have to rebuild it. And so that's what they did. The angle that was taken that I could find of that particular bridge doesn't show it very clearly, but if you look about halfway through the bridge, you can see that once again, it crosses the river. So the people decided that they were going to rebuild the Chutlatuka Bridge and make it once again serve its purpose. So what does that mean for us? How are we as God's church today right here in Knox County, how are we going to be a church that's on God's mission? How are we going to start to rebuild so that we can once again connect God's church right here in our society with the people, the very people that we're called to reach. How are we going to do that? Our church has given you the foundation for that in this year's mission focus. Basically, it comes through three different ways if we take a look at it. One is to develop a love for God, to love others. I'm going to add on that then to live as missionaries every single day. A lot of times we think of terms of a Venn diagram. Have you ever, some of you that are still taking your studies, you know what Venn diagrams are. If we think about our life in somewhat of a Venn diagram, we think about that upper left circle. If we think about that being loving God. The command that we've been reminded of right here in our church this morning to love God out of Mark chapter 12. And if we think of the upper right circle of that Venn diagram to be loving others. And if we think of the bottom one to be living as missionaries, we begin to see that as God's church, he's called us to do those very things. 
Loving God, loving others are what we often refer to within the church body as the two great commandments. Mark 12 identifies those for us, and they're the focus of our mission conference this week. Loving God and loving others. The bottom one is what we've often referred to as our great commission or being on God's mission. It's found in Matthew 28 where Jesus was appearing to his disciples and he said to them, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, as our pastors reminded us already this morning, to make disciples of all nations, all peoples, all tribes, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all of the things that I've commanded you. And then he promises, I'll be with you to the very ends of the age. So if we think about that, where those come together in that Venn diagram is what it means for us to start to rebuild and to live as missionaries right here in our own community or all across the world. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul's writing to the church and he writes them this very encouraging command, this very encouragement that comes right from him as he's looking at the church in a time of great shifts in their own culture. And he says to them, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When we think of that standing firm in one spirit and one mind, we think about those top two circles of the Venn diagram of being together in our love for God and in a spirit of unity in our love with others. And as he talks about striving together for the faith of the gospel, we think about that bottom circle of that Venn diagram of what it means to strive together for the faith of the gospel, that we would live out the gospel in our lives every single day. I like to refer to it as those things coming together, as we are called to live the grace of the gospel every single day while we share the gospel of grace. And that's where those come together for us, to understand what Paul was saying when he said, you know, conduct yourselves in this way. Be of one spirit. Be of one mind. Your love for God, your love for others. But also live as a missionary every single day, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What that means for us is we have to understand that as the church is working together and as God's people working together, we don't demand uniformity from one another, but we live together in a spirit of unity. No longer demanding that everyone be exactly like us for us to get along and strive together. But that we come together in this united purpose, in this unity of spirit, that we're all working together to see people be reconnected to Christ and his church. Some of the ways that we begin to do that is we have to rebuild the bridge. If attractional programs are no longer attractive, then we have to go and rebuild the bridge. And help God's people who are part of his church understand that it's, if the attractional programs aren't attractive any longer, then we have to go and live in an attractive manner in what we're doing every single day in the context of our lives, in the first, second, and third places of our society. One of the ways that we can do that is we can start to look at, at putting together internships that we're already a part of here, but helping people learn that whether they're teachers or lawyers or truck drivers or whatever they are, that whatever their vocation is, God will use them to live as a missionary right where they are every single day. 
We're trying to help put some learning communities together to help churches understand what it means to engage their own communities right here in Knox County and to do it in such a way that, that we build strong relationships with people. There's, it's one thing for a church to be located in a community, something entirely different for a church to be located among a community. And it's time for us as Christ followers to no longer just live in our neighborhoods. We have to live among our neighbors. We're wanting to try to help people put together cross-cultural mission experiences, and Calvary does that so beautifully. But ways that we can connect with cultures other than our own and to help engage them with the gospel. To launch missional communities that are designed to reach these very people that will no longer come to the programs of the church regardless of how attractive they may appear. We're trying to put together partnerships to help church people understand, to help God's people understand that we have to start to meet people at their point of need and their point of pain. Those who are living in our own city in poverty, one out of every four in the city limits of Knoxville lives in poverty or below. And what we have to do is we have to people understand we have to engage these points of pain in our city, poverty, imprisonment, sex trafficking, abuse, all of these points of pain in our city, the church has to make a statement by being personally engaged in a loving and caring manner. But the other part that's different for that is we strive together for the faith of the gospel. Knox County is a place in the research that I've done to where we have tremendous agencies and tremendous, tremendous groups that do a lot of good things in Knoxville. And a lot of them do a lot of good things for the people that we're talking about cross-culturally. They do a lot of good things for the people that we're talking about in those different points of pain. But we have to understand that there's something that makes us unique from all of the other agencies and nonprofits in Knox County. And that is that we are the church. And not only do we engage them with compassion at their points of pain and in these cross-cultural ways, but we do it with the gospel. Because that's what separates us from all of the other agencies that do good in Knox County. That's what it is to strive together for the faith of the gospel. So we have to begin to rebuild. We have to rebuild in such a way that we understand that loving God and loving others and living as missionaries, when those come together, that's the sweet spot of our life as Christ followers. And that's how we begin to rebuild our purpose, God's purpose for his church right here in our own city. But you know what? We're, we're capable and we're smart enough to come up with all of the strategies in the world to make that happen. We can come up with strategies and we can come up with action plans and we can do all of these types of things to make that happen. But there's one thing that must take place if we're going to see that rebuilt right here in Knox County. We can talk about strategies to rebuild the bridge. We can design plans to rebuild the bridge. But the real question remains, do we care enough to rebuild it? I've shared with some of you this experience in my life before, so excuse me if you've already heard this story in my life, but for those of you who haven't, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to be the pastor of a man who was the uh, department head for the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of North Carolina in Charlotte. His name was Dr. David Young. 
Dr. Young was an expert in forensics engineering. He would often be called upon to go and testify in court about structures that had fallen down or, or had, you know, to see what was the cause. Was it an engineering design flaw? Was it a construction flaw? Was it something to do with the shifting of the soils and land? What was it? What caused this building to collapse or this structure? In order to be uh, at the cutting edge of his field, he shared with me one Sunday as he was leaving, he said, I won't be here for the next four weeks. I'm going to London to study some more things about forensics engineering because they're about 50 years ahead of us in this discipline. And so the month went by and he comes back and when he comes back to church that day, he says, I want to share with you what happened with me in London. And I was like, great, I'd love to hear about it. And Dr. Young was a very engaging guy and was very personable in a lot of ways. And what had happened is when he got to London, he decided that during the week he wanted to tour London and tour the city as much as he could. So he, he uh, enlisted a particular tour guide to give him tours. He would do his research during the day, and then toward the end of the day he would take tours of the city. And he had this one guide every single day of the week. At the end of the, at the, end of the first week on Friday, he looks at the guy and he says, hey, I've I, Man, thank you for showing me so many things this week. He said, can you point me to a church that I could visit on Sunday? And the tour guide looked at him and he said, Dr. Young, he said, I don't understand. He said, I've shown you just about every magnificent cathedral in London. All of the beautiful church structures, we've already toured all of those this week. I don't know if there's another one that you need to see. And he goes, oh, no, you misunderstand what I'm asking. He said, I know we've toured all of them and I appreciate seeing their structures. I'm actually wanting a church that I can go worship in this Sunday. And he said the tour guide looked at him and he just had this stone-cold expression on his face. And he just looked at him and he said, why? Dr. Young said, well, I, I, I worship on Sundays. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in, in God and Christ. I, I worship on Sunday. The tour guide looked at him again. He said, Dr. Young, I don't understand. Why? Why? He said, well, it's important to me. My family and I, we, we worship together with our friends every Sunday. And I, while I'm here away from them, I'd just like to find a church where I could worship with other believers. And he said, the tour guide looked at him and he said, no respect, Dr. Young. He said, but I, I want to tell you something. He said, you told me the first day that I met you that you had come to our city to study forensics engineering because we were about 50 years ahead of you in that. He said, Dr. Young, I make a prediction. He said, I predict that in 50 more years, America will be where we are religiously, and you won't care anymore either. I thought about that. And I thought, could that possibly happen here? God laid upon my heart, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. I'll share it with you quickly. Because in Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words that Jesus himself would, would later read in the temple. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
so that they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And I thought of that as I thought about the Cholatuka Bridge. We can see the need to rebuild. We can come up with all of the strategies and the designs and the action plans to rebuild. But if we don't care enough to rebuild, if we don't have enough passion for Christ and for his church, we won't rebuild. We won't rebuild in a way that connects us with the very people that we were called to reach. will simply become another monument that people could come by and gawk at. And when I look at our society today, and I think about the opportunities that we have to to rebuild the bridge again, to connect God's people with the very ones that we're called to reach. I hear the words of that tour guide to Dr. Young ringing in my ears. I predicted in 50 more years, you won't care either. I don't want to be among the generation that no longer cares. challenge to us as his church is let's not be the church in this generation that starts down the path to where we just no longer care 